for those of you that haven't been here the last few weeks, or those of you that don't know, we are right in the middle of a marriage and family series titled Reclaimed. And it's called Reclaimed because we're taking back everything that the enemy has robbed and stolen from us, or we're making sure that he doesn't rob and steal from you in your future. And we're talking about a lot of different topics. The last few weeks, my wife and I talked about the original intent, and we talked about going back to the beginning. And next week, she'll be back up here to talk again with me. Uh, But this week, I'm going to tackle a whole different subject. I'm going to give the married couples a little bit of a break, not a lot, but I'm actually going to talk to the singles today. I'm looking over here, but if you're single, raise your hand. Okay, we have a lot of single people here. We also have a lot of widows, and we have those that have been married before and are divorced. And this message isn't going to be just for them. It's going to be for all of us. And the reason why it's for all of us is because what I expect when it comes to singleness and dating and marriage should be taught culturally. And the reason why I'm doing this, particularly this morning, is because the way that this church needs to be led is by culture, not by the senior pastor. My job is to support you, and real ministry is me serving you, not you serving me. And then it's you serving each other. Ministry is service to one another. And so what I want to do is set the standard and the expectation for what I believe the Bible says for dating and marriage. And then I want you to teach the sons and daughters the same thing. Because right now, I'm doing premarital counseling for five couples, more that wished they could get me right now, but they can't because one, I'm maxed or time is too short. And what I really need is more people to know what I know and to teach what I teach. Now, think about the difficulty of this topic. There's over 300 churches in this town, and pastors can somewhat be like personal trainers, or nutritionists. What's the best diet? What's the best way to work out? You know, everybody can have a personal opinion. And in a lot of what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to give you what I believe the Bible says and what my opinions are towards dating and married life. And it's a tough topic because every one of us has a blueprint and a mindset of what they think it should look like or what their marriage looked like before they got married. And so I hope that I don't make some of you really mad, but I might today. But what I'm really out to do is to be a father this morning. I'm really out to share with you what I teach the the singles and what I teach in dating and what I teach in premarital and what it takes to get me to marry someone. Now, you've heard me say before, or if you haven't, let me say it again. It's difficult to get me to officiate a ceremony. It's not that I don't want to, and it's not that I'm not for you. But I say it's difficult because I'm really going to hold you to a biblical standard. And even if you failed or made mistakes or are already sleeping together or have a porn addiction, guess what? I'm for you, and I want to see you get healthy so that I can officiate your ceremony. So I'm not out to hold you back. I'm out to be a father. So 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is a life motto scripture for me. It's verse 14 through 16. And I'm going to use this to preface what I'm going to talk about today. You got 10,000 instructors in Christ, but not many fathers. And Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, I'm writing the things that I teach you doctrinally, not to shame you, but to warn you. 
And to be warned isn't like, I'm warning you, you're going to pay a price if you do that, and it's going to be miserable. That's not what I'm talking about. The understanding of warning in the Greek is that I'm directing and guiding you to prevent you from falling into the pitfalls of unhealthy relationships. A real father directs and guides and instructs. In fact, the understanding of the will of God means his desire for you. Because we often think that the will is this one set thing when there can be all kinds of purposes that God has for your life and ultimately he has a great desire of a hope and a future for you. How you get there is a process that you get to walk out together with him and with one another. There's a lot of different courses and paths and directions your life will take. But at the end of the day, what we want is we want God's heartbeat for our future and for our life. And so Paul said, look, I'm not out to put shame on you. So shame would be telling you you're, you're so broken, you're so jacked up, and then I oppress you with rules and policies and regulations, and then I beat you over the head left and right, slap you a few times with my big King James Bible, and then I beat you into submission, and I make you feel like crap, and then you're like, wow, I just don't even want to get married now, and the last thing you want to do is talk to me about it. That's not what I'm out to do. What I'm out to do is set a biblical standard, and what I'm out to do is to raise the bar where God has the bar raised, and then have a lot of grace and mercy and compassion for everyone underneath the bar. Understand that? So I'm not out to shame you. I'm out to warn you, guide you, instruct you, lead you, and prevent you from falling into the pitfalls of divorce, affairs, pornography, premarital sex that cracks the foundation that can cause you later in life to have a lot of problems. And so I'm just going to go with the Holy Ghost today, all right? Is that all right? What I want to say to you is if you have built on a cracked foundation and made the mistakes, some of which we did, there's hope and there's, a, there's always another chance and another chance and another chance as long as you have breath. And the Lord can go back to that foundation, fix the cracks, and restore your life. That's why so many, so many people can come here that have been divorced because they know I understand, which is why I'm open and honest about my past. I have nothing to hide. I've been married and divorced before, and I fell into a lot of pitfalls. So what I want to do now, because of my failures and my mistakes, is help you to not do them. And saying, well, you know, they're just in their young 20s. You used to be like that. You don't want to be like I used to be. And I don't want my kids to be like I used to be. So I'm going to boldly declare God's truth, and I'm going to live it now, no matter what I've done in my past. You've always got another chance. I'm merciful and gracious and kind because I bombed it so many times. Thank God. So be encouraged today. I'm not out to shame you. I'm out to warn you. What the Lord wants more than anything is mamas and papas. We need mamas and papas. We need people that will beget one another. You know what it means to be begotten? It means I treat you just like I would my own son and daughter. Through the gospel, Timothy was begotten. The Corinthian church was begotten as a whole. And to be begotten is to be treated as a son and as a daughter. So what I'm going to teach you today and the way that I treat you is the way I should treat my own family and the way that I treat my wife. And that's why it's required if you're going to step into great leadership in the kingdom that your personal life is in order. Because how you lead yourself and your family is how you lead the church. 
And so if you're single, you have an incredible opportunity to, to do it right. And if you've screwed it up, there's forgiveness and grace to get back to do it right. And that's what I want for you. I'm treating you like sons and daughters today. I'll be firm. I love you. I care about you. There's a right way to do it. And I got about 15 people dating in this church right now, a bunch of people wanting to get engaged, and more of that's going to happen over the course of time as our church grows. And I got a newsflash for you. I want people to meet here and get married. But I don't want a hookup church. We're not doing the friends with benefits thing here. And if we're doing it right, you can't hide under the radar. And if you're going to get, if you want me to marry you in the eyes of God, I take that as an incredible responsibility. I don't take it lightly. I'm not a minister for hire. I could make $30,000 a year charging 500 bucks a wedding on the beach for people out of town. Right now, every weekend, I could be officiating. And I won't do it. Because I'm not, a mar- I'm not an officiant for hire. I'm not a minister for hire. That's why I expect anybody that I'm going to marry to follow a set of healthy expectations. And if they're screwing it up or they mess it up, guess what we get to do? Work on it. Because we're family. So I'm teaching this corporately because I have some pet peeves. I have some issues that I got to get off my chest. Can we just slay one, one religious cow right now? If you see a couple dating in this church, please, please do not ask them when they're going to get married. What's taking you so long? You don't know what I know. You don't know what I see. And that last thing a couple needs is pressure from a church family to tell them to hurry up and get it done. (sighs) I felt so good to just tell you that right there. Let me just tell you. Can I get an amen on that? I'm going to use some couples as an example. I'll use Andres and Melody as an example. There they are. Stand up. Stand up. Aren't they so cute? Don't you just love them? Guess what? I don't know that they're supposed to be married, and neither do they. So do me a favor and don't tell them when you're going to get married, all right? There we go. Have a seat. Now, I would hope for the best for them, but time tells a lot, doesn't it? They haven't been dating very long. And the problem in Christian cultures, especially when hormones are raging and, you, and you're under the influence of the Holy Ghost, <laughs> let me just tell you, you see that girl from across the room worshiping or that guy, you've never met him before, and you're like, man, they are the one. God told me. Let me just tell you, when I hear God told me, I'm like, red flag, God didn't tell you anything. It's getting good. I, last minute, I bombed it last service, but I'm getting it a lot better this service. Verse 16, Paul says, imitate me. We need mamas and papas and marriages that can be imitated. We need families where sons and daughters can look up and say, That is a couple I want to be like. They're wild. They're passionate for Jesus. They love the Lord. They're healthy. Look, even if you did it wrong, which we made mistakes, and I can say don't imitate that, 
What I can say is now, through the blood of Jesus, forgiveness, kindness, repentance, and bringing Jesus into our marriage, now it's become healthy so that our kids can follow and they, we can be imitated. So I can't say, look, I did some things wrong. Don't imitate me there. But what I want to do is get everybody to the place where their lives can be imitated. Because you know why? There's so few families and marriages in this world that can be imitated. Look, I work hard. We're, we're bivocational. We run businesses. We manage people. We manage staff. We manage our lives. We lay our lives down for one another. And my wife and my family is more important to me than even this church. So I don't want to shame you. I want to warn you. I want to be a father. And I want you to do these same things. I want you to beget people, sons and daughters. And I want you to be imitated. The cares and concerns of this life can be difficult. Man, difficult's an understatement. The world has no mercy. It will eat you up and spit you out and doesn't really ultimately care about you. The spirit of this age is not for marriage. More and more young adults are choosing to not get married and to just cohabitate. Marriage is under attack from same-sex marriage. And the issue with same-sex marriage is not so much that people don't have love in their hearts, but that it's a direct assault on the character and nature of who the father and Jesus the bridegroom is coming after his bride. And it can't reproduce. Sons and daughters of the living God. It's hard. This world is hard. To live a godly life means you're going to get persecuted. To deny yourself can be really difficult. Without healthy perspective, real family, a good church, and a good understanding of who you're called to be in Christ. My heartbeat for you is that you wouldn't be distracted by the cares of this world. And that you'd understand how much marriage is under attack. And trust me, if anybody here is married, you know. Marriage is under attack. The devil hates marriage. He hates it, hates it, hates it. I believe that the number one thing he works the hardest on is to, is to destroy marriage. And I guarantee you the way he stops a movement like this and a church like this would be to divide the two of us, my wife and I. I guarantee it. It's, the, it's really the only way that I believe the enemy could try to creep in. Because if he can destroy marriage, he can destroy sons and daughters from getting married and believing in true covenant and true commitment, which again is a direct assault on the Lord. Yeah! yeah. woo Let's look at some more fun scriptures, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life, whether you're married or single. If you are wrapped up in the concerns and the cares of this world, you will not be able to effectively fight and engage in warfare the way God's called you to. And when I say engage in warfare, I don't mean against each other. I mean against the onslaughts of the enemy and the spirit of the sage that hates you, does not want you committed, wants to tell you all the lies about marriage. You'll just be tied down. You'll be chained down. It's going to be miserable. I had some people that run some businesses in Port A before I got married. 
that said to me when I got engaged to, to Amber, they said, I'd love to, to say their accent, but then you'd know where they're from. They're not from the U.S. Why do you want to get married? You really only want to sleep with the same person the rest of your life? They said that. I was like, yeah. I really only want one person. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. Now, I'm going to summarize this in a minute, but I want you to look at this, and I want you to meditate on the Scripture. If you're single, you have an opportunity to spend a lot of time with Jesus. I mean, let me just tell you. Knowing what I know now, I'm like, man, if I could go back, I'd be like all day in the secret place reading my Bible. I mean, like, but now I got to fight for every minute. I got kids, and I'm wiping poop, and I'm doing all kinds of stuff that I'm like, man, I didn't know I was signing up for this. So when you're single, notice the word thinking. Your heart should be set. Your focus should be set. We're going to bust out the whiteboard here in a moment, and we're going to have classroom. I'm going to do a premarital session with this whole church. You ready? Verse 33. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. <laughs> just, why do I just want to laugh at that? Oh, don't worry, women. You're coming up next. So the, the, there's this comparison. And it's not that one is, is worse or better than the other. What I'm trying to do is put into perspective what your single life should be right now. Because you could do a whole series just on the married component. But the simple understanding is there's a difference between being single and married. And in your single life, you have this incredible opportunity to not be concerned about always having to wake up at 6 a.m., even though some of you are early risers, because kids are tapping on your shoulder. Money, responsibilities, your wife, your kids. Your focus now becomes, it doesn't mean that I have a heart divided, but it means that now I have a whole nother set of responsibilities that require my time and attention. And when you understand marriage God's way, getting married is actually a promotion. I, did, I wouldn't want to be single right now, knowing what I know. But I wish I could go back and somebody would have told me what I'm telling you now. You have this incredible opportunity. And what does the devil want to get you to do? Feel lonely. For some of us, we can't, we've never been alone. For some singles, it's from one relationship to another, and you have a broken picker. Your picker's broken. And you know what? History sadly does repeat itself until the blood of Jesus comes in, makes you a new creation, and then you start getting healthy and get healed in your life so you don't keep having one, two, three, four, five divorces, and you don't have these broken relationships over and over again, and on the third or fourth night, you're shacking up and knocking the boots, and next thing you know, you don't ever know what happened. They didn't call me anymore. Listen, it's been a long time since I've been in Egypt, so I'm trying to remember what that life was like, okay? <laughs> Verse 34. 
His interests are divided, but I want you to notice it doesn't mean your heart's divided. I love Jesus with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I have a a deep, 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 deep love relationship with him, but then it's my wife and my kids. And they're so, 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 so close to each other. And so now I have a whole nother set of interests. And so now instead of being single and fully devoted and committed in serving and honoring the Lord with my body and my life and everything about me, which I did not fully do, I did it to the best that I knew how, though it wasn't fully right, what I want to do is help every couple dating to do it right. Because I really believe that things don't go wrong, they start wrong. And so I set the bar high. I have a lot of grace and mercy and compassion. But I tell every couple, don't come to me with a date already set. Because I need to know that I'm going to marry you because it takes time for me to inspect your life. So divided interest in the same way a woman. Everybody say in the same way. Thank God this is put in there because, man. (laughs) In the same way, a woman. So in the same way as what we just read. So there's an addition not, a, not precluded from the, what we just read about. A woman should be thinking about how to serve and please the Lord. They should be fully focused without division, just as a man is expected to be. And a man is also expected to be holy in body and in spirit. I just was dying to do this. I don't have Jeremy here to play my song. But you should have known that in marriage and family, I was going to have a lot of love songs to bust out. Let's see if you can guess this song. I'll read the lyrics to you. (laughs) Guess mine is not the first heartbroken. Now, who already called that out? Some of you are living in the grease fantasy right there. You men are looking for your Sandy. I already know what's happening. My eyes are not the first to cry. I'm not the first to know there's just no getting over you. You know I'm just a fool who's willing to sit around and wait for you. But baby, can't you see there's nothing else for me to do? I'm hopelessly devoted to you. I actually wanted to title this message, Fate Hopefully Devoted, instead of Hopelessly Devoted. You like that? Well, we'll just call it that then. Verse 35, I'm saying this for what? Not to put a restriction on you. See, people look at God's standard as a straitjacket lifestyle and that they don't have freedom. And the world says you should live together and have sex before. The world says you should try it on fully beforehand. And what I'm telling you is the world is a liar and the world's system actually creates more dysfunctional marriages and relationships than the kingdom does. And at the same time, if it's not taught properly in the church, you'll have a bunch of divorced Christians. Now, this is a big, big topic that I could teach on for a really long time. And at some point, we'll teach more on it when we get into our school of ministry. But I'm going to try to give you as much as I can. It's for your benefit not to restrict you. What I want, what Paul wants, what God wants is that whatever's gonna help you serve the Lord best, do it with as few distractions as possible. 
So unhealthy relationships and unhealthy dating actually becomes a distraction from the Lord. I know, I know people that were fired up for Jesus until they started dating. You know why? Because their heart moved too fast. They opened up their heart to that person. They fell in love, quote unquote, too fast. And instead of serving and honoring the Lord in, their, in the beauty of this season of singleness, now they're fully distracted on their relationship. So what Paul's really saying here is, look, be fully devoted to the Lord in your singleness. Because understand that when you get married, you're going to have divided interests. Isn't that powerful? So there's an incredible purpose. Every action has a consequence in your life, positive or negative. Every action. Every choice you make with your body has a consequence one way or another. How you choose to serve the Lord now is critical. Some decisions that you make will affect you for a day or a season and some for a lifetime, like a child. And what I want are mothers and fathers and families that are healthy and strong. And even if it started wrong, hear me clearly. And even if you had a child out of wedlock and you come here, I love you and support you and want to see your marriage and your future be everything God wants it to be. And what I don't do is I don't tell a couple just because they had a child, you should get married. And that'll be my second religious cow that we're going to slay today. We got a generation from the past that if you hooked up and got pregnant, the parents would say, now you have to get married. And then what happens is, is we have sons and daughters from my generation, which is Gen X, and the baby boomers now being raised with single parent families because moms and dads got married because they were pregnant and they were never ready. They were children in and of themselves. They don't know the Lord or they're living this divided heart of seeking the world instead of seeking God and now they're divorced. And now children are being raised in single parent homes that are thinking and believing and seeing that divorce is okay and commitment isn't real and covenant isn't real. So here's what you do. If you have a child out of wedlock, you get involved with the family, and we do our very best to get the, the boy, the girl, the man, the woman to get healthy in Christ, and then we determine as a family, is this going to be really good for you guys, and then we'll get you married so that you have an awesome life. But in some cases, they should not get married because it'll be more detrimental to that child if that couple gets married in the long run. And I just said that at church. You have an opportunity in your singleness to be prepared for what God has in store for you. I love this quote from my pastor, Joel Budd, two, years, or two pastors ago. He said, there's no time for preparation when promotion comes. Either you're ready or you're not. And guess what I get to decide? Whether you're ready or you're not. <clears throat> now let's also make sure we understand, I don't control you. You don't have to have me marry you. You can go to the Justice of the Peace, and it's $85 cash. You know why it's cash? So your check don't bounce, or you don't change your mind the next day. And you know how much it is offsite? 175 bucks, and if you want a beach wedding, it's $225. And they'll marry you in 72 hours. There's a three-day wait period. And I don't want any of you to go to the justice of the peace either. 
I want you to do it healthy and right. And I want to help you because I'm for you. I'm not out to hold you back. But what I want you to do is to do it God's way. And I want to help you do it God's way. And I want to know that when I walk up to that altar, it's going to be for life. Don't you want the officiant that's marrying you to also have confidence they're marrying you for the rest of your life? So why not do it right? I always believe that time is on your side. Always. Now, I love you if you didn't do it fully right. And guess what? I'm going to fight for you. And I've said to couples here, if you go to the JP tomorrow and choose not to go the direction that I teach you and train you and expect, guess what I'll do? I'll cheer you on and I'll fight for you and I'll congratulate you and I'll probably even give you a gift card to Coffee Waves because I care about you. <laughs> There's no shame. Not everybody's going to do it. Though. People do, do all kinds of things, all right? But if you want me to marry you or you want to get married in this church, I know how hard marriage can be. So why wouldn't I set the bar where God has it to be? All right. I've been waiting a long time to share some of this stuff. So our job as a church is to help you and to prepare you for a lifetime of devotion without distraction, whether you're single or married to understand God's purpose in marriage both before and after the big day. And to understand the battle. And when I say the battle, it doesn't mean I'm miserable. To die to self makes me actually more alive in him. Because until I know the resurrected, the crucified Jesus, I won't know the, the resurrected Jesus. Until the crucified David happens, there'll be no resurrected David. You guys ready for some more scripture? Are you guys Okay. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. You're, it's, there's warfare in this life. You're going to engage in warfare one way or another. And so Paul gives Timothy this incredible instruction. And he says, if you're going to warfare, you can't wage a good warfare if you're entangled in affairs. The first and greatest affair that we always have is with the world. And if you get married and you have an affair with the world, guess what affairs with the world lead to? Affairs in your heart, which can manifest as affairs in marriage. What I want to do, and I'm going to show you here in a minute on this whiteboard, the number one most important thing that I expect for anyone and everyone, no matter where you are in life, and especially if you're dating or you're going to think about getting married. And it's the opposite of an affair with the world. It's called lordship. And lordship looks like something, okay? So even now, God doesn't want me entangled with the affairs of this world, even married. So I may have divided interests, but I'm not wrapped up in the cares of this world. Now, can you imagine singles if you met a boy or a girl or a man or a woman like that? Why not? And if you didn't start that way, guess what? It's never too late. Let's get flamed on. Let's fight right. It's, it's fight the good fight of faith, not the miserable fight of faith. Verse 5. If anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, some of us, by nature, by human nature, we're rule breakers. Give me a rule, and I'm sure to break it. That was me. 
Just tell me not to do something and that I can't have it, and I'm running to get it. That was me. Now I actually live in freedom. This word rules, actually another word for the word rule is to be legitimate. It means that I gained the prize legitimately. I didn't cheat. It means I didn't run a marathon and somebody halfway snuck me down the back alley and I drove, got in a car to the finish line. People do that stuff. Why did you, it's just the dumbest thing, but I've, people have done that. It means I'm not illegitimately circumventing God's process so that you can be crowned with a victory for the rest of your life is what I want for you. So there's rules, there's expectations biblically. Like I had a mama here text me recently about one of their children is so angry at God because of his cohabitation rules. Mad that they can't live together and mad against premarital sex. And they don't understand why God says fornication and premarital sex is unhealthy. They don't understand how God could say Biblically, it's not okay for a man to marry a man. They don't understand it because they don't read the Bible and they don't have the heartbeat of the Lord. You gotta know the heartbeat of the Lord for yourself and have an encounter and a revelation and read your Bible and have somebody disciple you and coach you. Lordship, community, family, friendships. The hardworking farmer, verse six, must partake of the crops. Consider what I say and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I don't want you to live a life full of affairs in your heart with the world that cause you to have emotional affairs with other lovers, and then it manifests itself through pornography. You may never actually sleep with somebody, but you'll live a life of pornography. Do you know how many marriages I deal with where the man or the woman, because it's both ways these days, is hooked on pornography? And I understand what it means to battle pornography when I was a kid, And I know how addicting it can be, and I also know it's such a trap and snare to divide you, and that's why we're here to help you and set you free. But wouldn't it be nice, ladies, to marry a man that doesn't have a porn addiction? Wouldn't it be nice, men, to marry a woman that really genuinely understands who they are in Christ and their identity and lives upright and says, I know you really want that, but you can't get that until there's a ring one day, and I don't even know if I ever want your ring. So let's have a good time and enjoy each other and figure it out. All right, let's get the board. You guys ready for a little whiteboard action? Yes. Now, for those of you that are watching on Facebook or on YouTube, or even sitting in the back, it's gonna be a little bit hard for you to see this board, but I'm gonna do my best to explain it to you. Is that good right there? God has a blueprint for marriage. We're gonna call this God's blueprint. This says God's blueprint, and this is the Bible. I'm gonna... I'm going to just teach you like I would teach a 21-year-old, all right, or a 20-year-old. You guys can't see this over here, so I'll just spell it out for you, but we're showing it also for the cameras for those in back. And then you have you, and you have the other person. And guess what they have? 
They have blueprints. Do you know the number one way that people think they should raise children and what married life should look like? The way their parents did it. And that's pretty scary. (laughs) And let me just tell you, everybody's got a blueprint. I don't care who you are. Every single person has an idea of what they think marriage should look like. So guess what a real mama and papa does? They compare your blueprint with his blueprint, and then they make the blueprint together with God's blueprint. And so it takes inspection. It takes time. It takes knowing each other. And you don't figure out the blueprints by just sleeping together and moving in together. But some of you are already there, and guess what? I'll still bring you back to God's blueprint, and I'll still discover yours, and I'll still help you guys to do it the right way. It's not too late. I'm not shaming you. I'm not pushing you away. Please don't leave. I marry couples that that are living together a lot. And back in the day, I used to say, you better separate and move out from each other. And guess what those couples did? They left. I'm thankful you're here. Get a revelation. Get some help. Get into community and relationship and family. I'm for you. And even if you did it wrong and you're in meltdown mode and you're throwing out the D word all the time, get some help. We're for you, not against you. So we want to discover blueprints and we want to make your blueprint and their blueprint come together with God's blueprint and become one. Most people don't know God's blueprint for marriage. So we have to teach our young adults and children what marriage is about. Right? So, I'll say this nicely. Get a clue. The number one thing that I expect from anyone and everyone, and I don't think it's unrealistic and it takes time and process, is lordship. Do you know that lordship looks like something? Now, I don't need to write it all out. I'm going to show you basically a pattern for me. But every one of these topics and titles that I'm going to show you has something under it. And if I was sitting in a conference room at Coffee Waves or over at C1, or if I was sitting with you as, a, as one of my young adults, sons and daughters, and this, so now I'm teaching you all how to do it, this is what I would teach. Let's talk about lordship. I'll give you a bunch of fast definitions without writing them down. Lordship means your life is not your own. Lordship means I fully surrendered. Lordship means I've been redeemed, bought by the blood of Jesus. I'm born again, and I'm no longer the person I used to be. Lordship means intimacy with the Lord. It means dwelling in the secret place and abiding with him. It means being a disciplined disciple. Everybody say a disciplined disciple. Not just a believer. Believers will make it to heaven. Disciples bring heaven to earth. And I want heaven in your home. Oh, let me just say that again. I want heaven in your home. But you're not ever going to have it without lordship. Without lordship, you have no leverage in life. To have lordship means to be spirit-led. It means to hear God's voice. It means you read your Bible. 
It means you worship because inside of you, you have an understanding of who the Lord is, and it doesn't mean you're perfect. It can mean I'm so desperate that, God, I need you, so I'm worshiping you with everything. Lord, I bombed it so bad last night. Lord, I said things to my wife I shouldn't have said. I defended myself, and I hurt her, and I shouldn't have, and so, Lord, I'm running to you because I need you. It means I receive comfort and consolation and conviction by the Lord so that I can easily say some of the two hardest words for A lot of people to say, you want to know what it is? I'm sorry. sorry. (laughs) And you know what? I say I'm sorry a lot, don't I, honey? She says she's sorry a lot too. Because in marriage, it's laying your life down, which means a lot of forgiveness. And if you don't have lordship, you don't understand forgiveness for yourself. The list goes on. How you worship, how you love Jesus You say, well, pastor, you're just raising the bar so high, I'm just never going to find somebody. Yes, you will. God brought Eve to Adam. Adam just needed to be in position, and Eve needed to be spirit-led. So lordship. So I'm a fruit inspector. So should you be. Just, Just get to know the person spiritually, but make sure you have lordship. After lordship comes something that's just nearly as close to me as that because you can't really have one without the other. And this word, for those of you that may not be able to see by the camera, says community. You know what you have in community? You have trench fighters. You have people that when crisis hits and hardship comes, that will pray for you and love you and give it their best to fight for you. You have mamas and papas, brothers and sisters that will meet with you and care for you and do their best, pray for you and love you. You have parents and family that can set an example to be imitated because marriage is hard. And what happens when things go awry, I'm telling you the first thing that happens is you isolate yourself if you don't have community. So I want you to have community right up front. Let me make a bold statement. I won't even marry you in this church if you don't have relationship and community here. Because if you get married without relationship and community, when the devil starts turning turning it on and you're in meltdown mode, what comes pretty fast is a lot of ugliness. A lot of ugliness. Now this church doesn't have it all figured out, but in five years we're coming along pretty good. Regeneration for 40 and under includes Young married, young professionals, young adults, high school, from singles to married, and then you have married couples leading the home groups for the 40 and under. And then outside of that, you have a men's group that's flamed on on fire with awesome men that know what real biblical manhood looks like. And then you have a women's ministry that is also on fire and flamed on. And so there's no reason in my mind that you shouldn't be involved in relationships in this church. And here's what I want to tell you. It's not perfect. We don't have it all figured out. It's a little bit messy. But you know how it gets better? When you get involved. Because God has ordained this church to be on the move to to demonstrate what real family should look like. I'm not out for just another big church with a bunch of people and to build a kingdom to myself. I want to see a family of trench fighters that have a past that they've overcome that did it right and now have grace and compassion for those that aren't doing it right but can set the standard to bring them up. It's never too late. It's never too late.
Accountability. I know that can seem like a bad word for some people, but you know what? We need to have reality-based conversations. And that means we have to ask hard questions. How are you doing? What does she say? What does he say? And I can't be doing everybody's premarital counseling or pre-engagement counseling or couples counseling or marriage counseling. So I'm teaching on this because I want a culture that speaks this language. Imagine if there's 100 families flamed on on fire setting a great example. Imagine 200. Imagine 1,000. We can break the trends of fatherlessness. We can break the trends of divorce. Gosh, does it feel so good to just say that? So community. Now I'm talking about dating here. What comes after these two things that must be happening is this. For those of you that can't see, this says friendship. I can't tell you how many relationships hooked up in about two to three weeks They thought they heard it was the Lord, and they started talking about marriage, and they came to me and said, I know that they're the one, and then months later, they were broke up. Or I can't tell you how many people got together rapidly fast and never really knew each other, and then months or years down the line, they're like, what did I ever marry? I never knew you. There's times Amber and I even say to each other after six and a half years, I feel like you don't know me. You know why? Because it's always the discovery for the rest of your life, but Amber and I had this. If there's one thing we for sure had, It was friendship, because after we got married, it was like we already knew each other so well. So time is on your side when you're single. I know hormones may not be on your side, but just harness your hormonal strength and give it to the Lord. Express it in worship. Get a djembe at your house and beat it till your hands bleed. I don't care what you got to do. Boy, I could have said something bad there, but anyway... What I'm saying to you is friendship is important. And so what happens is you can learn to discover up front or you can have to discover it after. And the problem is, is once you get married, there's no no outs. In my mind, divorce shouldn't be an option. Does God give us an out on some circumstances? Yes, he does. But I would like to just never have you ever go there. Wouldn't you? So friendship. I can tell you that there's couples in this church that dated, they met, they, they started to know each other, they dated really fast, and I even had other people in this church saying, when are you guys going to get married? And then about a month or two later, one of them realized, wait a minute, they're not the one, and they broke up. And it be, can be so hard in this church if it doesn't work out because we're so pushy towards marriage when they don't even know each other. Now, I understand some people met and got married within a month, two months, three months. I understand that. And it can work, and it does work. And there are marriages that are in this church, and people I know that got married within three, four months, didn't really get to know each other that well, and didn't have a lot of time, and it worked. But that doesn't mean that's the standard in my expectation. And what we don't do is use your past example as the standard for everybody else. But what we do do is give the Holy Spirit room to do it his way. And that means getting to know you in relationship in community. God tells me all kinds of stuff that might be contrary to what I think sometimes. Seriously. The Holy Spirit leads me in directions that sometimes doesn't make any sense to me. 
It's not a formula. It's a pattern. What I want to see is friendship. And you know what friendship takes? Time. How much time? God didn't write, thou shall date for 180 days. I don't know the answer to that. All I know is you should have definitions of these things. What is friendship? It's honor. It's trust. Because if you don't have trust in a relationship, let me just tell you, I had to go back to my wife and I had to ask her forgiveness not long ago for things I did pre-marriage. Because the Lord was showing me that there was fruit manifesting that had come all the way from back before we dated. And God said, I want you to repent for that. And honestly, wholeheartedly, and we wept and we cried and God showed up and I said, I'm sorry. I did not set the standard fully of what a godly man should set. And she forgave me. And you know what God did? He fully restored the foundation. And those same issues we once had are no more. So honor, trust, respect, time, watching them, getting to know them in community events, going to community events together, not friends with benefits. Know your boundaries now, which will come out of lordship. For some of you, a good makeout session before you get engaged is okay for you. But I can pretty much tell you this often leads to that. And I just said that. Listen, you get more from a PG movie than that, all right? Let's not kid ourselves, all right? My, thanks to Kevin Leal, he gave me the lingo. If he doesn't pray in tongues, he doesn't get any tongue. That's the way it works right there. <laughs> Set your boundaries. What are they? Know yourself. If your hormones are raging and you think she's hot, probably not good for you to spend time alone together in your apartment at 11 o'clock at night and have a glass of wine. I am having so much fun. I am having so much fun. So time, honor, respect, boundaries, community, family. And then what happens is once, once you kind of move through this, what should come next would be dating. And you know what? Some casual dating, in my opinion, isn't bad because dating is discovery. And guess what happens in dating? Some chivalry should come out of the men. Now he starts treating you in a way that's more loving, more preferring, more committed. And I don't believe you should date multiple people at one time, but what I do say is this. The conversation in dating that you should be having with yourself is, is this person marriage material and let's not talk about it. Because when you start talking about marriage right off the bat, too soon, too fast, please don't. Because then you start awakening things prematurely that aren't healthy, and you set your heart on a course that can actually cause destruction. It doesn't mean that you're not thinking it, but just don't talk about it. That's what I think. Do couples mess that up? Yes. So dating looks like something. It's got some romance. It has some fun. It's not a business contract, guys. But it is an inspection time, isn't it? It has some chivalry, some romance. Some, it's all the things in, in friendship. It's all of this coupled with now being more intentional and more committed. And then in the dating process, 
what you determine and decide is, yes, at some point, I would like to spend the rest of my life with each other. I would really like to marry you. And that's when you enter into courtship, which I would also call courtship pre-engagement. So courtship is now, I really do think I want to marry you. But guess what? You're not married yet. You're not even married in engagement. But now what you're doing is you're being very intentional, and you have the all-important DTR that says, hey, I really think I'd like to spend the rest of my life with you, and I would really like to intentionally and purposely court you. Oh, DTR, define the relationship. So now you're moving from dating, casual dating, getting to know you. Is he kind? Is he chivalrous? Does he treat you well? Does he have lordship? All these things. And then you move into courtship and pre-engagement with some family members that are supporting you and believing it's right and helping you and encouraging you and coaching you. And that's when you finally get to move to the all, not spelling it right today, but this says engagement. <laughs> and that's in, in the engagement and the pre-engage, or premarital, we do all kinds of things. Some things you can learn now, premarital, I'm sorry, personality profiles, there's a lot of great ones out there. Kendall Life Languages is an awesome one. I think y'all should do it. Do it now. Myers-Briggs, know your Myers-Briggs profiles. They're not exacts, but they give you some ideas. They're pretty accurate with Amber and I. She's an ESTP. I'm, I'm sorry, she's an I, no, she is an ISTP, and I'm an ENFP. Wait a minute, I'm sorry. She's an ISTJ. I'm an ENFP. And some of you are like, huh, what? Take the test. In our, in our personality profiles, we're exactly opposite. And we're both high intensity. We're both chiefs. And I used to have a list of all the expectations. She's going to tell you that. We're, we may tell our story next week, but I used to have a list. Oh, man, it was bad. My list wasn't good because my list was, was actually writing out somebody just like me. Can you imagine if I'd have married myself? So in the engagement process, that's when we're ready. Now, if you've done these things, guess what? You've dealt with shame. You've gone through the classes of inner healing. You've dealt with rejection. You've dealt with failures. You've dealt with divorce. You've dealt, if you've gone this way. But some people come to me, and they have skipped all of these things, and they're engaged. So you know what I get to do? Take you back. Take you back to the beginning. Let's check out the foundations. What went wrong or what's going on? Or, you know, I'm not saying I won't marry you. I'm not saying I won't marry you. I'm thankful I get to get you into process. Now we get to meet with you on a more personal level and help you. And if you bypass this and you got married in an unhealthy way and the foundation's cracked and you're in meltdown mode, guess what? God can restore the foundation. There's always hope for you. Always hope for you. There's always hope. And so in the engagement, that's where we do some real fruit inspection. Now, I can't deal with everything pre-marriage. You know why? More stuff seems to come up after marriage because it's a life of laying your life down. Sparks have flown between Amber and I. We're both chief personalities. She's real type A. And we've had to discover what real marriage looks like. Next week, we're going to talk about 
what can be a real dirty word in the church, the S word, submission. We're going to talk about what real submission is biblically. We're going to talk about Ephesians 5. We're going to talk about why we lay our lives down for each other. What I want to do is I want to help our sons and daughters do it right. I want to help you, if you're single, to do it right. Get the lordship thing down. Get into relationship with other people. Make sure that you build a friendship. Date right. Court right. Let's do the engagement God's way, and I'll, I'll help you. We'll help you at this church, and let's get you married. Let's have, let's have so many marri- marriages this year. Why not? Yeah, no pressure. I know this may seem overwhelming for some of you, but there's a lot of couples here that I've married, and if I married you, I believe in you for life. So when you melt down after marriage, guess what I say? I know God told me you guys are the ones for each other. You're in meltdown. I mean, I've had all kinds of stuff happen. Affairs, they're, they're, they're practically killing each other. But guess what? I still believe God puts you together. <laughs> I'm not trying to make marriage seem like a bad thing. I'm just telling you, it's the most awesome thing ever when you get unified. I don't really know where to go from here but to just pray for y'all. That's all I can do now, all right? Let's, let's all stand up.